There's a small county just north of the Golden Gate Bridge that has shaped the organic food and agriculture movement in the San Francisco Bay Area and throughout the country, if not the world, forever. Marin County, the nation's only all-organic county. Why and how did this happen? We'll find out today. The epicenter of the organic movement, Marin County. That's our focus in this hour of an organic conversation. Your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helge Helberg, and I'm excited to be speaking today with Warren Weber, the founder and owner of Starout Farms, the oldest continuously certified organic farm in the country, about Marin County, which the New York Times has called the epicenter of the organic movement, and rightfully so, as we will learn. We will discuss the current state of the organic food movement and define what are the challenges of sustainable agriculture in the next 10 years a full episode on the organic revolution. This show is made possible through the fantastic support of our underwriters. Thank you to Bowman College, a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Become a nutrition consultant or a natural chef at their campuses or learn from home in a self-paced, mentored, distance learning program. For more information on a degree in holistic nutrition or culinary arts, bowmancollege.org. Thank you also to Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor of organic fruits and vegetables. Earl's Organic has been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. If you want to offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients, Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. And Fry Vineyards. America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated, dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Award-winning wines from Mendocino County at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E dot com. This is an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm here with Warren Weber, the owner and founder of Starout Farms, which is the oldest continuously certified organic operation, at least in California, if not the country. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Warren. Thank you, Helga. Very glad to be here and, uh, and talk with you. Yeah, we had a series of like legends of organic. Uh, we had Earl's on the show who has been working as a distributor only with organic fruits and vegetables for decades. And you are now our next guest as part of that Legends of Organic series, really tapping into the wisdom of 40 years of organic movement that you're bringing to this interview. Thank you for your leadership in the organic industry. You have been the president of California Certified Organic Farmers in the past, CCOF the largest West Coast organic certifier, that is, and, of course, the co-founder of the Organic Farming Research Foundation, OFRF, which has provided vital research and information for growers on how to do it, um, how to grow crops on the land. And you have been the 
president of Marin Organic, and that brings us to Marin County. What happened in Marin? It's celebrated as really the epicenter of the organic movement. Uh, it has seen the Prince of Wales and many, many other dignities over the last 15 years or so as kind of the most interesting model in sustainable agriculture on how to make it work, how to make it economically viable. What were the beginnings and why Marin County? Well, the beginnings are fairly recent in terms of the organic uh, history. I started back in uh, 1974, and Marine Organic, we didn't start until 2000. And uh, this uh, appellation that it's the epicenter was, I think, the New York Times said in about 2005. That's when the Prince of Wales came. So um, the organic movement in, in California preceded our more concentrated efforts in Marin uh, for quite a while. I mean, the center, the center of organics in the early days was down in Santa Cruz. It was north of Marin. A, a lot was in, there was uh, Sebastopol and Sonoma had a number of small farms. Um, there were farms in Yolo County. There were even farms down in uh, Santa Barbara area and uh, Southern California. So and there, it's CCOF as an organic and CCOF certifier. CCOF started Santa in 72. Yeah, in, and, in Santa Cruz. Uh, so, they've, so they've been uh, around a long time. I mean, I, I should just preface this by saying I know we've been around a long time and we've been certified a long time, but there were farms, organic farms before us, and even farms that were certified, but uh, they've gone by the wayside. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're still standing, so to speak. So what, um, what happened between 74 when you started and then the next 20 years yeah. until, you know, the food movement really kicked off? What? Well, the, the, what, what sort of happened was that the industry, uh, the organic industry just kept expanding. And all the small growers tried to get larger. Not all of them, but a number of us tried to get larger. We went down to the uh, Coachella Valley in 89 to try to participate in that growth that was going on. And other people did as well. Uh, and when you say gr growing, you mean ex expanding the acreage? The demand, right. Expanding, uh -huh. expanding acreage and sometimes uh, new crops. Uh -huh. But basically it was uh, production. Some people, some people even invested in plants to process, uh, you know, um, to do um, mescal mixes, spring mix, that sort of thing. And a couple of people I know went bust. And some of the larger growers... Uh, some of the very large growers in grapes and lettuce went bust during the um, 80s and 90s. And what happened was that um, the conventional growers, as they saw the industry grow at about, I think it was growing something like 20% a year, it was a huge growth mm -hmm. rate. Yes. And just every year after year, but it was a small industry, but growing at that rate. So the, the larger conventional growers just held back looking at this thing, not even not encouraging at all, of course, because they didn't didn't want to. But then when it reached enough size and there were enough um, enough stores around the country that would take a lot of produce, then the so called big guys jumped in. The the five thousand They started to take it seriously. Five thousand take it seriously. Uh, and this was in the late the late nineties. It started in my recollection, it was that it started about 1997, 1998. That's when we felt 
the impact and um, what impact like you just well the it was impact in in prices essentially and demand the, i mean the price dropped. all of a sudden the price dropped uh, i can remember we were doing mescal mix uh you know spring mixes at uh i think we were selling it for about 11 dollars a box our cost were probably at least nine and we were doing that we were doing them up here in marin county and also down in the desert and uh and and shipping around the country and there was good semis would come into the farm and we were we were we had about 100 acres at that time and uh we could load up a semi or maybe partial semi it wasn't wasn't a problem we take orders from different distributors they send them to boston or denver or seattle or wherever they were going and that was everyone thought that was, this is great we're growing with an industry and then all of a sudden the it semis was just stopped coming this semi stopped coming. the call was <laughs> well um <laughs> We can we can buy your stuff now, but it's going to be five dollars a box, and if we come in there, we have to fill up a semi, which is four dollars so, under your production costs. Yes, yeah, yeah. And so you we don't were, have a semi, and and we couldn't fill a semi. Right. So it, it was apparent that it happened very fast. And I guess what what was going on was that the large, a few of the large conventional growers, uh, one of the one of the companies, a very good company called Grimway which was doing uh, about 40% of all the carrots in the country, conventional carrots, big company, and very well run. They decided to, to jump in, and when they did that, I think uh, price meant nothing to them. They just wanted shelf space. So they wanted to be in Whole Foods and the other, the other uh, stores, and they just wanted shelf space. They didn't care. So they could put... They could put a couple percent of their operating profits into going organic. They could have sure. could have put in a couple thousand acres of organic, and bingo, they 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 took it over. And, and that was carrots, but they were several well, examples well, for other crops. Well, then they companies. yeah yeah they st well they started with uh, uh -huh. you know organic scene. They started they had carrots, but they also did a lot of other stuff. In fact, I ended up leasing to that company some some of our acreage because they were looking to for more acreage organically proven acreage which is what they wanted so so that was a uh, that was a transformational time so and late late 90s wake up the call late 90s, industry coming in the, the 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 organic industry has really succeeded and the practices were now being done by very large more sophisticated production growers so you were facing as many other organic growers were facing a tremendous change the the way business had been done, where basically right, you could right. sell anything for almost any price, Th those times were over. What does that? What did that start to? How did the thinking shift in that moment? Well, it, it shifted in a big way for me because um, we had to close a plant. Uh, I mean, a, a distribution center center we had in San Rafael, and um, had to rethink who we were and what we were doing. And I had friends who had built plants, and they went under, two I'm thinking of right now, who, um, who tried to expand with the industry and couldn't do it fast enough or big enough. So I went through a psychic shock. First of all, we lost a bunch of money. For, I held on for about 18 months foolishly. You know, as I, but I, it wasn't as long as some, I guess. And I had to sort of rethink what we were going to do. So we lost money. I stopped producing in the desert. Uh, we came back just to our core home, home farm in Bolinas. And um, I decided that uh, we needed to do several things. 
One is we needed to sell only to people who really wanted what we had, which meant that we had to have a very good, solid, direct connection uh, with our buyers. And then I also felt that the whole farm itself, the operation, was just vulnerable to various whims. And um, I decided that in order to feel more secure, have a more secure environment to farm in, that I wanted to have a closer relationship with everybody in our community. So I thought that I would ask our ag commissioner to do a certification program. We were with CCOF at the time. CCOF is a great organization. Um, but I, I sort of felt that we wanted to have a more a local, more immediate environment mm-hmm. and a support of the community. And so I went to Stacy Carlson and asked him if he would do a certification under the under the uh, National Organic Program. And he said, yes, he'd love to do it, which was a terrific surprise to me. And um, he came right on board. And so f- with, with that, we started to reach out. I started into, um, into the, really the political community. So we, Ellie Real at UCC was very supportive of, um, of organic practices and educating the ranchers and farmers in the county about organic practices, grazing and farming. Um, and we got the support of um, our supervisor, which was Steve Kinsey at the time. And so we went to the, in other words, basically we tried to pull together the public community that represented all the, all the citizens of our county. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg, and I'm speaking with Warren Weber, the founder and owner of Star Out Farms and the president of several agricultural organizations in his 40 years of leadership about Marin County, the epicenter of the organic movement in this hour of an organic conversation. Marin County, a small county just north of the Golden Gate Bridge that has shaped the organic food movement throughout the country forever. We're finding out what happened, what led up to it, and what occurred in Marin to be called the epicenter of the organic movement by the New York Times in 2005. So we've seen the changes in the industry. We, you recognized, as many others with you in that moment, that local community and the, the, the support of both the public as well as the support organizations, UC, Cooperative Extension, the Board of Supervisors, the Ag Commissioners, they all had to kind of come together in, in order to support um, and make organic agriculture successful. That was, that was, was that really clear or did that just occur? Well, we sought out that support directly for, for organic production. And at this, this is, so we're talking about the year 2000. At that time, we also had a strong growers group. There were, there, we, we had several organic farms that have been around a while. We've been around, Star Out Farms, Green Gulch have been around. And uh, in Bolinas, we have uh, two farms that have been, have been around for a while. So we had a few farms, but what, what fortunately happened was that in the Point Reyes area, there, was a, there were some gardeners and who, who were trying to put together 
a kind of a, a master gardener program uh, in that area. And we had Cowgirl Creamery, which had started, and we had Albert Strauss and Ellen Strauss, the Strauss Dairy Farm, which had been up there. I don't think they were quite certified at that time. I'm not sure when they were certified, but it was very close to that. And they were the first organic dairy to be certified west of the Mississippi, Mississippi or something. Mm-hmm. So um, we had that support. So we had a, a number of us came together, and they wanted to start kind of a, something f- for the county. So we, so we sort of used the leverage we had to begin Mineral Organic with the goal of saying, well, let's just see if we can't get all the acreage or as much as possible of the acreage in the county certified organic. And that really was uh, the beginning. So we started Marine Organic, and uh, then we were fortunate enough to bring you on board, and you became the executive director and uh, really paved the way toward that notion of Marin being the epicenter. And we want to talk about the biggest lessons in that work since 2000 and how it may shape our future as we are looking at the loss of 50% of agricultural producers in the next 10 years. We will lose about a million farmers in this country of 2 million farmers to retirement. And there's no official policy that I have seen to address that yet. All that is still coming up. This is an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg, And again, I'm speaking with Warren Weber, the founder and owner of Starout Farms, the oldest continuously certified organic farm in California and perhaps the country in this hour of the epicenter of the organic movement, Marin County. Stay tuned for more. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg, and I'm speaking with Warren Weber in this hour on the organic movement, If in fact, the epicenter of the organic movement, Marin County, called the epicenter by the New York Times in 2005 when the Prince of Wales visited Marin County. And before the break, Warren, we were talking about what came together in order to, in this case, um, start Marin Organic, an organization dedicated to represent exactly your cares, which was to create a food awareness or an alliance uh, or allegiance to local, truly local production, right? That was the single most, how to get local producers recognized and supported in their efforts. Was yes. that the main Yes, that, that's right. And it, 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 um, it goes back to one of the principles that, of the industry in the very early ages, in a very early period, and that was that it was really a consumer-driven movement. Um, the farmers, the growers were, of course, very involved, and we helped, were, had to set up the, the uh, certifying organizations. But the real power of the movement, uh, and, I, and it is a movement, came from the consumers. So part of what we were doing with Marine Organic was trying to connect 
the consumers in a, a kind of a broader sense, not just the people who are consuming the produce or the milk that we drink, the meat we eat, but the, the, the citizens of the county who are really ultimately responsible for what happens to that county. So if you have... You mean with policy and with the, anything? With the policy, the, the, the planning commissioner, the planners, the supervisors, the ag commissioner's office, the extension service, you know, are these people aware of um, this kind of agriculture? Do they want to support it? Do they understand what it means, that it means more than just growing food in a particular way. It also means the protection of habitats, uh, better health for the farm workers, and yeah. you know, and ultimately the health of the citizenry itself, um, and the education of our children, our kids, which all come out to these farms and explore them and learn about them. So that was sort of the effort. I think that's what really was probably being recognized about Marin is that we had pulled so many things together. Which is so in- interesting. It started really as a consumer choice in the early 70s as part of, you know, back to the land movement, oil crisis. We want food that is not sprayed. DDT was banned around right. that time. And then we kind of lost track in the organic movement that it was always a consumer movement. And um, in the in the late 90s, Marin County made the most orchestrated effort to bring it back to that, it seems like, because of all the people and all the organizations and all the governmental agencies, everyone really coming together uh, to, to support that notion of organic agriculture. What were the biggest hurdles along the way, if you look back now, having been such a big success? But did the people just by chance happily all come together and it just happened in Marin County or what were the biggest obstacles to convince well, them? That, that's a great that's a great question and uh, I, I think I probably really don't have an answer for that <laughs> on, a basic, on a really basic level because it is true that all success and all progress depends on people and you know where do people come from with the passion they have and the ideas they have and the willingness to share them and the willingness to work together to do that as opposed to their own self-interest. Um, I mean, that's pretty profound <laughs> psychological stuff. So I don't know if I have an answer to that, but I think— But it did, think, it did happen. Uh, it did happen, and I, I think that um, I think people are capable, obviously, of inspiring each other. And it takes— it just that's what it takes. People uh, actually find that they can inspire each other. So it's a question of, of you know, networking and and being together and and having getting the job done. I mean, you go through cycles with this kind of experience in the communities. I think. I mean, in the early years of the organic movement, it was very heady. I mean, it was really fun. I mean, we all had it was just great fun. Uh, every time we got together, it was huge new stuff to learn, great opportunities. Everyone's trying stuff. Some people are succeeding, some people aren't, some people are leaving, but there's a lot to learn and there's a lot of reasons to stick together. Uh, I think when it came to the, you know, to the aughts, uh, to the 2000s, that was true for Marin Organic. I think we felt, and Marin, I think we just felt like, gosh, you know, we can, 
if we just kind of keep hanging together, we can, we can do something even better for ourselves. And we've seen the results of it because in 2000, if you looked at the landscape of agriculture in Marin, it wasn't just that there was a lot of conventional growers and producers and then a few organic people. It was also that what was being produced was also quite split into kind of commodities versus a few specialized specialized crops. And once Marin Organic started and we got the help of all the of the of UC mm-hmm. Extension and the Ag Commissioner's office, all of a sudden food became people, more localized. People were th- people were beginning to think, well, gee, you know, I can do other things with this ranch. I can do I can grow strawberries. I can have milk and strawberries. I can vertically integrate my operation and we can we can do cheese. Um, so uh, it was really, and, and that happened because, you know, I'm thinking particularly about the information that the Ag Commissioner's Office had about the crops that were growing. They had a whole history of what had been going in for the last century. So what you're saying, which is interesting, I mean, there are many, many counties or areas in the world and in the U.S. where you have ambitious people, but you don't have the right mix. You maybe have really great organic growers, but you don't have the support of the ag commissioner. Or right. you, you have governance that wants right. it, but the policies are just not right yet. In this case, in Marin County, it just happened to come together um, with mm-hmm. everyone being on board and in support. And it's it, it created this creative moment where, as you say, conventional growers... Of, of dairy maybe or, or, or dairy people had um, organic strawberries on their land. Like it created this opening and this opportunity for people to go all out in their farm, to rethink their operation right. and to say, how can I add money now that there's a local food shed being reborn? We all, I think we also have to mention the Agricultural Land Trust that was started back in the 80s with uh, Ellen Strauss and Phyllis Faber uh, because that, started a consciousness of thinking about thinking about Marin and its agricultural land in a whole sense and more as, as a, in a kind of gestalt sense so it wasn't farmers and ranchers had already seen that they were doing something together they were you know they had this organization that was helping to save and protect that land that was a huge that was really made it a lot easier for for producers uh, around marine organic to come together and focus on different kinds of production. Yeah, on that pre- kind of preserving acreage. agricultural land as a, as a resource because once so often, once it's gone, um, you're not going to turn developed land back into agriculture. It usually doesn't happen. Mm, that's right. Once it's lost, it's lost. So as we are looking into the future and the challenges ahead of losing a million farmers in this country to retirement in the next 10 years or so, um, the preservation of ag land is important, but there's a different slice that I want to touch on with you. Mm-hmm. Protecting the agricultural land as a resource is one part. The other part is the stewardship that I've seen in Marin, um, particularly since since 2000 when Marin Organic was founded. Your farm as an example. For you, it was never just to meet the organic rules. And for Marin Organic and Marin County, it seemed like it was not just about meeting the organic rules. It was always, and then what? From the fair treatment and, and, uh, and payment to, to um, laborers, to farm workers, to seeing the farm kind of as an ecosystem, to water conservation, 
Is that your sense too, that, that natural resources, ecological stewardship has always been part of your mindset as you were farming, or where does that land? No, I, th I, th I think that's true, but I, it's, it's not uncommon among organic farmers. I mean, all the... All Depending the, on the size. Well, that, I guess I, that's, that's probably the case, but certainly all the farmers that I ever knew and started with back in the 70s and are still around today all have... They, we all think of ourselves as environmentalists. I mean, after all, the movement came out of seminal works like Silent Spring, which was looking, Rachel, Rachel Carson, looking at um, the effect of pesticides in the environment. And, of course, agriculture is producing those pesticides, and also homeowners and using them and stuff. But essentially it was an agricultural problem. And, and so those of us who are attracted to organic farming just consider ourselves on the face of an environmentalist. You know, we're of a certain stripe, of course, because we, we want to produce food, and we're trying to figure out how to do that to feed, to feed people. Um, but we want to do it in a... In a ecological and environmentally sensitive ways. I, that's true for everyone I know. It's, it's not unique. I'm not unique in that sense at all. We, I, I would say that we were very fortunate to find our first parcel, you know, in Bolinas, uh, because that particular farm and that particular area, I built it up on several different parcels, but that little watershed there has wonderful aspects to it, natural aspects. I mean, it has, it has, um, it has uh, lowlands and wetland areas. It has upland areas and oak and bay laurel. It has uh, a half mile of riparian cr creek and that whole corridor. So it just has, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of wonderful flora and f fauna in that area. Well, that's where... So it yeah. was, it was a, just a great place to be able to you know, start farming. I mean, it was we had we had that sort of the support of nature there along with us. I'm speaking with Warren Weber, the owner and founder of Starrod Farms, the oldest continuously certified organic farm in the state and likely in the country. In this hour of an organic conversation on the epicenter of the organic movement, Marin County. I'm Helga Helberg, and. Yes, Warren, with your biodiversity in and around the farm, that's where kind of the rubber meets the road when you create a truly local food awareness. People start to inquire, right? People want to know. Mm -hmm. They want to know beyond the food. Because of local farms, there was a very successful organic school lunch program where we used the leftovers, the food with slight cosmetic blemishes from the field to feed over 10,000 kids a week in schools throughout Marin County, actually in every school in Marin County. And, um, and then having farm tours and visitors to farms, to your farm, star out and seeing the biodiversity, uh, counting 84 species of birds in three hours of a birding tour once, I remember, that's where the story is kind of almost being grounded within or being, being confirmed. If the consumer believes I'm buying organic food and I have this lush, healthy, beautiful farm in mind, when they then come to your farm, that's actually what they're finding. How important is, in the effort of creating a local food shed as Marin County has done, how important is that ecological 
cycle if people listen to this outside of the county and what are like what are the biggest assets looking back now that made this successful in addition to the people of course creating it the importance of protecting the environment overall as a and having organic having farming being a part of that activity is important every environment is different so what you're protecting is going to look a little different i mean we farm Uh, also down in Coachella Valley, which is, you know, the upper part of the Sonoran Desert. And right now it's 110 down there. And the summer you don't farm at all, the kind of things we do. You know, there's not streams sure. flowing through and there's not, uh, you know, there's not... Uh, birds and wildlife. Birds, no, the, the mountains down there have n nothing growing on them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's, you know some some uh, bighorn sheep and uh, you know there's coyotes around and uh, but it's not but it's not it's just different but I think you still take seriously um, how how you're working this the ground are you improving the soils are you protecting the the aquifers and how are you using water and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of issues which are basically environmental issues But it's a different habitat. So, you know, if you're in, you're down there, or you're in Europe or Australia or Africa or wherever you are, um, your habitats are going to be different. And you, but I think the idea is you try to farm in a way that's supportive, not that both supports the habitats, but also the habitats are kind of supporting your farm. So it's, it's basically trying to be friendly. <laughs> with the environment. I mean, that's essentially what you're trying to do. It's not, you can't make it, you can't be perfect. How much has that been recognized by the environmental movement? Because uh, I, I, got, I got into this as an environmentalist. I thought organic agriculture is the antidote to most challenges that we face today as a society. And know. you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm essentially an environmentalist. And yet it seems that still today, the environmental movement at large is not recognizing agriculture as the culprit for sure but organic agriculture as the solution I think it's that's true I think it's very true I mean why, at least, why is that? At least there's a well there's a there's a there's a biodiversity movement which is excellent in many many ways but it when it looks at farming it looks at what would be there in nature in their view of nature if farming wasn't there and so then they conclude in every case, that it would be better if the farm wasn't there because there's something more natural is going to be there than that farm. So, so the question I, never I mean, you includes... Know, you, you, you can't, I mean, you can't argue with that. I mean, it's a kind of a, it's an ideal position. Well, you could say, about, where would our food come from, right? Well, it needs to come of course, from somewhere. I mean, the arguments, are, uh, arguments are outside of that, uh -huh. of that argument. But it, if, you're, if you're that, if you're a, an idealist, then you can't you don't accept the other argument coming in because it's not it can't be part of the ideal it destroys your ideal our view i would i which i think is the really in the long run i think it's what most people thoughtful people come to is that what we're what we need to do is to find the balance in nature 
the, the, the proper the use of the natural resources that are necessary for human survivability and the rest of the natural mm-hmm. sources. So how can we best use what natural sources are there? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've had, I had some, I don't know if this is a side or not, but I, I mean, I've had some very, very difficult arguments with people that are really just idealist uh, about biodiversity. And I've been told that, oh, it would be better if, if you weren't farming anywhere. You, you shouldn't be farming down there in, that, in Bolinas and along that creek because that's a floodplain. You shouldn't be farming in the desert because it was a desert. Let it go. And, and so you say, well, what should happen? They say, well, 2% of the people in the world live on, on or 70% of the people live on 2% of the land. That's where they should be figuring out how they're going to support themselves. So you say, well, you, in other words, you're talking about highly industrialized, highly technological, fossil fuel input farming in indoors in skyscrapers with grow lights and huge energy and not using soil at all. And a lot of them shake their head, yes, that's, that'd be very good. Then that would free up nature, let nature be what it wants to be. I want to finish up the interview with the last question about the future. Again, we are, we are looking at losing potentially 50% of our agricultural producers to retirement. The average age is around 60 at this point of the uh, average American farmer in the next 10 years, 1 million farms. What's the greatest advice that you would give a new young farmer really being kind of, you know, the most important opportunity and greatest hope that we have that young people get excited about this movement? And they are, they are getting excited. We're seeing young farmers come in, maybe not in the numbers we need them yet, but um, they are considering organic agriculture really as a career and as a lifestyle, which is so encouraging and so wonderful. Is the retirement the biggest challenge, or what is, what's the biggest challenge for organic agriculture in the next foreseeable years, the next 10 years or so, and what's the greatest advice that you can give a young farmer going in? <laughs> well, that's a, that, that's a, <laughs> that's a big, big question. question. I mean, you know, I don't know what to tell people how to, how, what they should do necessarily, but uh, it has been encouraging that so many young people are coming back into it. In fact, in the last, uh, in the last decade, it feels to me more like it did in the 70s mm-hmm. than it did in the 80s or 90s. Uh, and I, so it's... Because of the influx of young Because farmers. of the influx, yeah. People are being drawn to it. And I think it's maybe part of a reaction to the technological society that we've, uh-huh. you know, that we, we, we've created. Uh, what to say to people? Well, it's, it's, it's tough because um, I, I think one thing people need to remember is that farming in all its levels, large, small, conventional, organic, it's a, it's a business with fairly small margins. So uh, it, can be done in, it can be done in a lot of different ways, which is the exciting part of it. You can farm on two acres, you can farm on 20,000 acres. Um, you, can, you, can, uh, you can farm carrots or you can farm earthworms or mushrooms or you know, I mean you can you, uh, there's just farming means so many different things uh, which is which is wonderful uh, but so I think that I would say to people what I tend to say is first of all try to be production oriented 
I mean, one of the things one of the things that we did, I think one of the reasons we've been successful over the years is even though we're kind of a small postage stamp farm, we're doing, you know, 40, 60 acres now, um, we're, we're still looking at trying to do it in a production way, use production techniques at, along with the organic practices to be efficient because you have to be efficient because these are small margins you're working on. So that's one of the things I would say to people. The other is... Meaning emphasizing economic viability because the care for the land, that's all almost implied. Yes, organic farmers yeah. are environmental well, you, stewards. You need to succeed. If you, exactly, if you, you don't make succeed, it as a farmer... And that means you have a business and right. uh, unless you don't need to succeed sure. <laughs> and doing it as a hobby or for fun, that's wonderful too. But if you need to succeed, uh, then you need to think about about production and you, you think about a business plan and your marketing and your entrepreneurial part. And also, I would say yeah. another thing I tell a lot of people is a lot of people think they have to buy a farm or find a farm. You don't. In California, over half the commercial farms are leased, and young people are still doing that on small acreages. So if you have some money to put somewhere, you want to put it, you put some capital into something, maybe you don't want to put it all into the farm. Maybe you want to find a place for you to live, find a small house in the community in the, where you want to farm, and then, and then from that have, be, have your base, have that be your capital base, and then go out and lease ground because you can lease at competitive rates and you, could, you can be profitable more profitable than if you had a huge mortgage on a big farm. So while that is a dream for many to have a little farmstead that they own and then grow from there as a business, it might be as valuable or viable, if not more so, right. to you know, not put all your eggs in and one basket. And that's pretty much what I did. When I went down to the desert, I, I leased. I didn't go down and buy someplace. I leased, and I did that for several years, and we did well, and I was able to make a down payment on the place and end up owning it. And that basically sums it up, bring the right people together, allow creativity to flourish, always have respect for nature, but make sure you are also economically sustainable because otherwise it does not matter really how green you are on your land. If you can't make a living off your farm, you won't be a farmer anymore. That was Warren Weber, the founder and owner of Starout Farms in Bolinas. Thanks so much, Warren, for coming in. Thank Such you, Helen. Enjoy it. <laughs> Thanks. And we are staying with the topic of organic fruits and vegetables. We are getting the update from the world of healthy produce, the update from the San Francisco Produce Dock. Here is what's in season. And with us, as every week, is Earl Herrick, the voice of the San Francisco Produce Dock, Mr. Organic. Do we have you on the line, Earl? You have me, Olga. <laughs> you got all of me here. Uh, Ju oh. July. What, oh, what abundance is this? <laughs> it, it, it's a classic <laughs> summer. You know, whether you're drinking iced tea in the back porch or you're, or you're leaning over uh, uh, on your lawn and eating a fresh peach. Uh, this this is the time of year uh, which is so exciting at the market because every every day several times a week uh, new products are coming in. And where's Whether where's your edge right now? What's the oh what's gosh. The... Right, right now I think peaches and nectarines. Uh huh. Because I think this is really when they peak at the 
end of July and all, uh, excuse me, at the end of June and all through July and beginning of August, you have a six to eight week period there where you have that classic run down your cheek, run down your chin piece of fruit that is what you, if you never had it, then you wish you had. And if you have had it, you just look to, this is the time of year again. Yeah, I, I remember having him four weeks ago, a month ago, and they, you know, I mean, it was just the first time was very exciting to have stone fruit on, on that level, but they didn't have the sweetness. And, and then I had a white nectarine just a week ago that I, I stopped eating it because it was like shockingly good. I mean, it was a, it was a mouth stopper. When, when we get the product in, we'll bring a case or a couple cases up into the kitchen, which is upstairs where the buying and selling offices are. And we, uh, we let them ripen. And we all take a couple pieces by our desk and we, we check them out. And, cool, and yes. We, we try them at different times. And great, really great topic, ripening. So uh, yeah. the one I had right away was great the next day. And three others had tiny little mold spots, basically just really overnight. I mean, maybe 24 hours. But why yeah. did that happen? It was, it was not yeah. where they sat. They were just on the side. Were they too close yeah. together, or what do they need? Well, first of all, it's, it's really very, it may be impossible to actually say exactly what happened, but it could be many times with their, when they're harvested, they're you know, picked by hand, and it could be a, a pressure in the fingertips, a very slight pressure that mm. does not show up until after the piece of fruit ripens and after it settles for a day or two. It could also be just put in your satchel as the picker. It could be rolling up against other ones. Or it could be where it sat on a tree, where it may have been touching another piece of fruit or the bark very slightly. But I'll tell you, I, I've had the same experience. They'll have a, I'll buy four or five, and I'll eat one or two, and then the next day or two there's a what we call a brown spot. Uh, and all you need to do is just cut that out, and the rest of the fruit is wonderful. Just make a little V-cut remove that piece and enjoy it right then. Or if, if out of the hand isn't appealing to you at that point, you know, slice it up in the granola or cereal or yogurt or, or, or cook it. It's, it's too valuable <laughs> to be uh, freaked discarded. out by a, yeah. by a, yeah, discarded by just a little piece of, of uh, well, it could be mold or it could be just deteriorating. And right. It's and part of what's real. You wouldn't you wouldn't cut it out and then put the piece of uh, fruit in the fridge for if you no. don't want to eat it that day. You want to eat it that moment, right? Yeah, if you, you cut yeah, it you out, do. yeah, yeah, you want to cut it up. Now, you know, some people might put uh, lemon or citrus on it to let it sit for a bit so it doesn't discolor. That's one thing you can do. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, it's something you want to enjoy right then. You don't want to sit, have that sit around because it'll it'll just decay further. It's just an open an open piece by that point. And do you wash your stone fruit when you bring it home or right before you eat it? What's the better way of doing well, it? Well, first of all, much fruit gets washed before it ever comes to you, but not all of it. So uh, if it's not washed before, it has its own, you know, the little hairs on peaches, that's a protective layer that is natural to the peach. So you only want to wash it, and that really has to do with any piece of fruit. You want to wash it just before you eat it. And, you know, I, the storing of them, you know, is is important because how, how you store it is, is really dependent on when you want to eat them. I was talking to a gal this morning. She goes, Earl, I want to have these peaches for Sunday. When should I take them home from the uh, warehouse? And we both decided Wednesday would be a good time. And, I, of course, part of the questioning is where are you going to keep in your home? How warm is your house? Mm -hmm. Because 
five to ten degrees sitting in your counter, your living room can make, make all difference. the difference. Sure. <laughs> so what I do, I bring them home, give them a couple of days, and and if they haven't ripened, I mean, I look at them twice, twice a day, and if they have gotten a little bit soft, I put them in the refrigerator and slow them down. But I also cover them with a towel just to kind of incubate them a little bit. I don't like them to get too cold. Mm-hmm. And, and you want then, to take them out early enough before you eat them, right, to warm up again to room temperature. Precisely. That room temperature is really what's going to bring out all those wonderful nuances. You know, you used the word uh, bouquet and floral. Yeah, if it's too cold, you're going to miss all that. Right. Yeah. Well, you were the one telling me and, and, and educating me around cling and freestone. Yeah. Let's talk about that because I think this yeah. is the time right now where mm-hmm. stone fruit is switching. Yeah, generally speaking, again, this is generally speaking, uh, right around the last week or two of June is when most of the varieties are no longer cling, which means the flesh will adhere to the, the internal pit. So when it doesn't, when you cut it in half, you can break it apart. That's when it's a freestone. That is the difference. Now, what it means to you is, um, as an end user, as, a, as an enjoyer of fruit, is that you're going to get more out of a... Um, freestone. Thank you, of a freestone. Whereas the cling, is a lot of it's going to adhere to the pit. It's a lot harder to cut off, and you pretty much have to chew it off, which is nothing wrong with that. Um, and I also think the varieties, personally speaking, I think they're a little juicier, the, the freestone. Um, yeah. They're juicier. I like the varieties. Um, they just have a little more character, a little more depth to them. That's my personal other people, you know, have other things to say about it. So right now, peaches or nectarines, if you cut around the circumference of the pit, just make one cut around the entire piece yeah. of stone fruit, and you have it in two hands. If you are able to twist it and it comes yeah. off into two parts, that's yeah. a free stone, and you can yeah. just remove the pit and then do whatever you like. You can eat both halves or you can cut them in quarters. Yeah. If you try that and you feel like, wow, you're smushing the, yeah. the stone fruit, that it might still be a cling and you will actually smush the stone fruit, right? You will have yeah. to eat it, maybe even, you know, <laughs> cut small wedges out of it or, mm-hmm. um, you know, bite yeah, into cut. it like you would into an apple until you get to the pit and then you put the whole pit in your mouth and kind of suck the juice. But that pit will still stick to the meat itself. Yes, you, you nailed it, Helga. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go out, get some peaches. Thank yes. you so much, Earl, for wow. your expertise and passion. And we'll yes. have you back next week. Looking forward Fantastic. to it, man. Thank you. Take care. Yes. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and that was Earl Herrick of Earl's Organic Produce. That's earlsorganic.com, the website for weekly produce tips. Organic farming, organic food. Two legends of organic here on the show. That's Earl Herrick, of course. And before that, Warren Weber, who has been operating Star Out Farms in Bolinas, California for over 40 years. Two people who massively shaped the organic movement. Thank you both. And that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation on the organic movement in this case the epicenter of the organic movement, Marin County, a review of its history and uh, outlook on the future of the organic movement here on An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg, and I'll be back with another episode next week. See you then. Bye.
And that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thanks for listening. A big thank you to our associate producer, Kristen Ponger. An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? Anyone can buy directly from Earl's Organic at wholesale prices. The website is earlsorganic.com. And also Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine without synthetic sulfites or other preservatives. Family owned and operated since 1980. Fry Vineyards, Mendocino County award-winning wines. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to anorganicconversation.com or subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher or Google Play so you'll never miss an episode. I'm Helge Helberg and we'll be back with another great episode right here. Same place, same time next week. See you then. <laughs>